0: Hmm. Amazing. It's absolutely amazing. But under the right circumstances, a producer could make more money with a flop than he could with a hit.
1: Hmm. Yes, it's quite possible. Welcome to the NFC Least Show. The show about everything that's bad and ugly in the NFC East. The show... That has successfully celebrated Christmas with the NFC East, Sean Williams. How is your holiday, man? How are things going by you?
0: My holiday was good up until Sunday,
1: and then it got <laughs> bad past.
0: Really, <laughs> a, a... a tough week for for me, and a tough week for the pod, if we're being honest.
1: Yeah, we took a lot of L's this week. I, Williams, going to test. I was not happy at all at any point of the day on Sunday. <laughs> Um, the only thing really preserving my psyche was the fact that I already crossed the Eagles off before Sunday, so I couldn't actually get disappointed at the outcome of the game. Um, let's just, let's just get, you know, set the stage a bit. We're entering week 17, um, and, and get some stuff of our chest before we even jump into the games. Uh, so after the results of these week 16 games, we now know the playoff scenarios, um, for these four teams, we know the Eagles are crossed off, as I did to them last week, but the Cowboys are still alive. <laughs> um, basically how it runs down is the Giants and Cowboys play at one. The winner of that game does not automatically clinch the coveted NFC East losing record playoff spot. Um, That ultimately relies on the game that has been flexed to primetime, the six and nine Washington football team taking on the, what is it now? The four 10 and one <laughs> Philadelphia yeah. Eagles. <laughs> yeah. Um, in prime time on week 17. This to me is one of the most egregious flexes to prime time of all time. I understand that, uh, that it's a, play, it's a, it's essentially a playoff game. And, and by that logic, the NFL wants to, you know, give it, you know, make that narrative, build that drama. But I think we all know that the reason why I got flexed is because this is Washington and this is Philadelphia, two of the biggest markets in the NFL. And this is one of the big things, at least that was in my mind when I, when I corralled Williams into doing this with me, was these teams need to be held to account, and, and they need to know how bad they are, despite their markets. They can't get privilege just because they're in the cities they are and can draw an audience and can draw money, while still being bad. And and to me, this just flies into the face of of what the pod stands for. And I'm I'm pissed off with the scheduling decision already. I'm coming in with some real negative, angry energy this week to the pod. How, what, what, how are you feeling about how this has shook out, Sean?
0: Yeah, I think, uh, when we, and feel free to cut this because this is going to get weird. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when we started this, I, I had this kind of theory of the NFC East as a representation of like post industrial America. Um, kind of just lurching along on the largesse of its former glory and being given privileges and acknowledgement that it doesn't deserve simply based on its, on its heft and, and the, the legacy of, of what it's done in the past. It's, it's sunk
1: cost fallacy, really the entire, it is. The...
0: <laughs> it is, but with, with that tinge of consumer demand that forces the hand of of others, right? Much yeah. like other nations have to kind of yield to American uh, might or supremacy, uh, <laughs> TV markets must yield to the to the consumer power of the yokel Dallas Cowboys fans that live in Ohio and the stupid Philadelphians who turn in every week and the arrogant Giants fans. Like it's it's a it's a classic, it's a classic case of getting what you want, not because you deserve it, but just because the repercussions, if somebody doesn't let you have it, are too great for them to ignore.
1: It It is truly like uh, this entire division is the New York Knicks, you know, where, where they get to sell out Madison Square Garden just by being the Knicks. Regardless of how good or bad the team they throw out there is and they coast on that not actually challenging for a championship at any point um, just because they're the Knicks and and that isn't to say there hasn't been success in this division. I feel like it's hard to not succeed when you are these teams, which is why it it's shocking that there isn't more success. In this division, (laughs) on a yearly or or yearly basis by decade, anything we we've been treated, not even treated, we've been uh, subjected to bad football (laughs) on the balance of the past twenty years in this division. Um, Very few teams having sustained um, eras of success. Let's say even on like a like a like a playoff challenging level, right? Like let's see, like the Packers. Haven't really. Uh, they haven't. They've won one Super Bowl in the past twenty years, but if you're to pull their records um, since 2000, they've had more winning seasons than they haven't, a- and no NFC East team can say that about themselves right now.
0: Yeah, I, I think Philadelphia is probably the closest. The closest, um, for sure. But otherwise, it is really just it falls into a pit of despair pretty quickly. And I think it's interesting. To observe that Philadelphia was the team that probably had the least legacy at stake, you know that yeah. they could afford to rest on their laurels the least, having not
1: won a Super Bowl until uh, 2017. Yep, yeah, for sure. So now that we've kind of, I love the analogy. Thank you so much for bringing that into the the canon of our pod. <laughs> <laughs> you. If I'm you were have gonna... <laughs>
0: an nFC East metaphor please send it
1: to us. <laughs> yeah if you yeah if you if you were inspired at all uh please send your NFC East uh sociopolitical metaphors to <laughs> NFC mailbag at gmail.com um but I, I do think it's also worth saying before we jump into the reviews and previews that if there is one person to blame. For the situation we're now in, getting a flexed primetime game between a four-win team and a six-win team, um, and every NFC's game having playoff implications despite no team having a winning record, it is Dwayne Haskins. And I think that we need to really, really consider him as potentially our first enemy of the least podcast.
0: I think he has to be because it's almost like he listened back after the Demucci pod when we crossed the Cowboys off and he was like, I will do anything in my power to make sure I help the Cowboys win the division to the point of like, I don't know, maybe, maybe he messed with Alex Smith's calf behind the scenes. Uh, He definitely acted on his best behavior to get back in the the coaches, Ron Rivera's good graces. I know that he was in the doghouse earlier this year. And then he just, the moment he could have made an impact, he just blew it all away. Um, This was the one
1: team in this division that had a chance at a winning record. They had ripped off four straight wins throughout November and December leading up to when Dwayne Haskins took over for Alex Smith with calf tightness. They were sitting at six and seven. All they needed to do was win two of their three games and right now, they've lost two of their three games and are already, I believe, point and a half underdogs.
0: I believe uh, they only had to win one. I think <laughs> they had to win one game, if I'm not mistaken, because they would have the tiebreaker over Dallas. I guess there's a world where the No, Giants no, no. no. What I'm saying game. is,
1: I'm saying that they had a shot to be above 500. Oh, they yes. needed to win yeah. one of their two games to make the playoffs but they needed to win two of their three games to be above 500 and be like maybe an actual contending team entering the playoffs. But now okay. they've squandered that opportunity and are are facing a matchup against a four-win Philadelphia Eagles team. It's pathetic. It is. The big question is, the big yeah. question is, is he is he the first enemy of this pod? Is he enemy number one? Is he the reason why we're being denied potentially our Cowboys cross off and seeing what should probably be the division winner lose out.
0: Yes, because I know you and I are both deep down, very concerned about the Cowboys winning this division. I would hate, hate for our cross off from seven weeks ago or whenever. (laughs) I
1: can't believe we could be wrong. Yeah. The one bit, the one bit we needed to be right on, has a chance to be wrong because of right. Dwayne Haskins. Right. All these are like, <laughs>
0: like me saying the Cardinals will win the Super Bowl, you know, me saying Mike Shanahan might have been hot in nineteen ninety seven. <laughs> yeah, those were wrong. Those were wrong. <laughs> but I'm okay with being wrong about those things. The thing that both you and I are allied on, that we expressly, I would say, is is one of the pillars of this whole experience. Is hating the Dallas Cowboys, wishing them ill, and celebrating when they do poorly, and they're they're really turning that around and spinning in our faces, and it's because of Wayne Haskins. So yes, he's an enemy, absolutely, Hands absolute down.
1: enemy of the pod. It's in it's in writing. We have our first. Yeah. All right, said, let's. If,
0: uh... <laughs> we can get him, if, if we can get him on, and I don't think he's got much else to do. Uh, let's do it. <laughs> we can hear his side of things. If we get Dwayne
1: Haskins, it. if we get Dwayne Haskins on the pod, it becomes more of like a thirty for thirty, NFC's twenty twenty, 20 2020 pod with him and Tony Pollard, just sort of you know <laughs> recounting their experiences in this division this year, you know, in, in kind of docu- documentary film format. <laughs>
0: only if only if we can get Dwayne Haskins jerseys, like yeah. those Yeah. <laughs>
1: All right, let's uh let's go into the the football talk. Uh, there was a divisional game last week, which kind of set the stage for this week seventeen. So let's talk about that first, and then kind of do previews along the way. Uh, the big divisional game this week was Cowboys Eagles. Uh, the Cowboys blow out the Eagles. Uh, it was not pretty, thirty seven to seventeen. Uh, but the Eagles were up fourteen to three. At one point, and then flat out gave up thirty-four unanswered points. <laughs> yeah, um, Michael Jaquette could not cover any of the three Cowboys receivers that he should have or could have had to cover to make up for uh, the lack of depth in the Philly secondary. Uh, two Dallas receivers had over a hundred yards receiving. Michael Gallup was the breakaway star, six receptions, 121 yards and two touchdowns. Just a, just an ugly game from, uh, from the Eagles defense. But, you know, I'll jump in and just say, this is what I kind of expected from the Eagles defense when I previewed this game uh, last week. And as bad as the defense was, um, I think some blame also has to be placed on the offense here for not going toe-to-toe with this Dallas team in a boat race. Uh, it looked like they were getting out hot, but the offense kind of dropped the ball in the second half and couldn't sustain possession. Jalen Hurts, I think, ended the game with three turnovers, uh, two interceptions and one fumble. Um, just just a sloppy, a sloppy game all around from this Eagles team. Um, and, and honestly, kind of a return to form for them. What, what were you thinking this entire game?
0: Yeah, I have to agree. I think it, it calls to mind, really, all the games this week call to mind a strong principle, and that's defense, even a good defense, can come out and miss. You know, I, th- I think a really super-powered offense is going to be a little more consistent than a really good defense, just based on the nature of big plays or penalties or one guy on defense goes down. Like I know Fletcher Cox missed time, like that kind of stuff. If you haven't adjusted for it is going to hurt you. And after really outperforming um, the last couple weeks, it was clear that Jim Schwartz defense that already showed cracks in the Arizona game fully came back down to earth in this one. Yeah. And on the offensive side of the ball, it was just, you felt like they the Cowboys had done their research on Hertz. They had a better understanding of what he was capable of. Hertz still looked good to me, to be honest. I I, I think he still passed the eye test and I see the potential and it's just a question of which way it goes with him in the future. I'm sure we'll talk about this a lot at some point. But is it a question of him getting better and the and and Peterson figuring out how to implement him? Or is it a question of defenses catching up to him and figuring him out? So I think it remains to be seen. I think the Eagles offense has a lot of other problems that subtly are holding hurts back as well, much like they hurt Carson Wentz. So um, really just a bad, a, a bad game all around from Philly and kind of shocking given that they had the ball. They were up 14 to three with three minutes left in the first quarter and, and just couldn't quite, convert third downs after that they just got cold um uh, yeah that that, that's kind of all i have on that really
1: yeah um the hurt stuff i want to keep like a litigation of the eagles quarterback situation to one of our offseason pods um but i'll just say what i've been saying since he took over he clearly has juice he's clearly an nfl quarterback i think that the flaws in his game are pretty obvious though. And I don't know whether that's something that coaching roster construction or just game time can, you know, uh, fix, but you know, the Eagles offense, the spark it found was, like I said, two or three weeks ago, they were, they traded out the easy money they weren't getting on slants and basic passing concepts with Wentz for easy money and on Hurst's legs. Right. And yeah. and that was kind of still there in this game, which is why the offense still was moving and I think eye test wise was, was easier on the eye than what it looked under Carson Wentz at uh at points in the season. But where I think you saw drives die was when Dallas took that option away and forced Hertz to make a range of NFL caliber throws. That the man just can't hit right now. I a few plays that stick out in my mind. There was a, I think it was a third down or a fourth down, um, maybe from the twenty or so, and Hertz tried to connect on a on a deep in route. I, I think maybe to Fulgham or Rager in the end zone and just skied it. Like it was, it was five feet clear of the, the intended receiver's head and he had him on the seam. It just, the throw was not where it needed to be similar routes. There was, I think a, like a, I think like a 20 yard in breaking route where it, it was, this one was definitely Rager and Rager actually got position. um, And I think drew a defensive holding flag. So it kind of went unnoticed how bad the throw was because the Eagles still picked up the yardage on the play. Um But it was five yards short of the receiver. It those middle of the field throws I think are very hard for for uh for quarterbacks to hit because the touch on it needs to be perfect. Like there's no room for receiver adjustment. Like it needs to be delivered where the receiver's expecting it, or else it's gonna be an incompletion or a pick. The one thing you can say that's good is at least when he misses it, it's not a pick. He's either skying it or throwing it into the ground. But like those are the kind of throws that a NFL quarterback needs to hit for an offense to remain on schedule and put up 20 to 30 a game, because these are the plays that defenses are going to try to force you to make, um, by taking away the easy money that you're good at. Um, so I, I'm still, I've seen enough to be like, okay, like I would run with Hertz as a quarterback, but I'm not sold enough to be like, do I think he's going to be a five-year starter in this league? Do I think he can captain a Super Bowl winning team? I'm not there with him yet. Um, and I think we saw a lot of that. It was a lot of par for the course there. Dallas, on the other hand, um, man, I I want to give them some props. I still want to say they're crossed off, but <laughs> Dalton, Dalton has them cooking right now by not having to do too much. They're getting a lot of production out of Tony Pollard and Zeke. And these receivers are legit. Oh. And I, I, I don't think that they'll be good <laughs> um, for a lot of the reasons that we've said, like, I think they are what the record says they are. And I don't want to hear any mess about the quarterback situation there. Um, The offensive line has been bad. The defensive line and the entire defense has been bad for most of this year. And I don't think they're going to have the money to invest in the positions they need to, to have those be good. But if they could wave a magic wand and get some salary off their books and just invest a little bit in some depth on the trenches and the second level on defense, that's a very good team they have down there in Dallas.
0: Yeah, they, uh, I, we, we've really kind of at at points gone after, gone after the Cowboys' coaching for seeming like they're unprepared for big plays or just kind of prone to boneheaded mistakes, and it's taken a while, as maybe you can expect with the first year coaching staff, it, longer than it took the Giants or the Washington's coaching staffs, but they did, they do they finally hit their hot streak. Giants had a hot streak. Washington had a hot streak. Eagles mm, have had moments, but I wouldn't say anything sustained. It seems clear to me right now that Dallas is feeling it. They figured out how to get around the injuries they have. Um, they're finally running the ball a little better uh, and getting some push up front. So there's a lot to like. Uh, and I, I we do have to give them props, I think, Mike McCarthy, the the pumpkin or the watermelon smasher, has uh has stepped up. <laughs> I can't we can't believe we I didn't bring that, that up. <laughs> that we have to talk about that graphic, and I don't remember the exact phrasing, but it was like Mike I actually missed the
1: graphic. But
0: yeah, no, it, it was like they came back from commercial, and it was like it was it wasn't like a full like picture graphic. It was like just a little tag under like the live video of him. Right. It was like Mike McCarthy colon smashed three watermelons since week five or something like that. It was like, it was a, or it was like smashed watermelons before game. It was like, like, I don't think it was meant like as a joke, like I think no. it was meant like, this is like a fact that we are voicing over on the broadcast and also bringing up via like this text graphic. Um, did you
1: did you actually hear the story about what he was doing? Yeah, yeah. It was like hyping the guys up. He had them smash watermelons.
0: Right. I, I mean, that in and of itself is weird, but it's, it's just especially, weird. it's it's just so bizarre to be like, like Sean Williams, eat ham sandwich for lunch. Like it's just, like, just not relevant to X's and O's at all. And I love it.
1: Um, it's just i wonder what the half-life is on that as like a motivational tool like i would get pumped up just throwing stuff around seeing things get smashed like once but like what's the diminishing returns there well i will say this
0: dude if it if it works then you kind of have developed this pavlovian response to like watermelon crushing equals success like the fact that they if they did it before that game and they blew out the eagles then yes if i'm the head coach i'm doing it next week because i'm like y'all know what time it is boys it's watermelon smashing time
1: well we already Um, made dwayne Haskins an enemy we might have to make watermelons an enemy (laughs) (laughs) next week depending on how this game goes all right let's uh i want to preview giants cowboys but let's briefly talk about uh giants ravens uh (laughs) really bad (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> really we, bad we, for the we again. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> oh god, I don't want to do this.
1: I final score. Final that. score was 13 I don't. It was not I, that
0: close. It, was it wasn't
1: close. at all. Uh, I think, I think what really epitomized it for me was you know I didn't watch the game of I caught up on highlights, and you know, the, the, I think the nfl.com twenty minute highlight packages do a good job of like including in even, like, non-chunk plays that kind of help tell the story of the game, you know? Yeah. Um, the,
0: do the Giants have non-chunk plays?
1: Yeah, and there was one, there was one Giants possession where it was just, like, it was, like, the Ravens touched down the first quarter, and then it switched to the Giants possession, and it was just two straight false starts, and then it went <laughs> back yeah. to the Ravens' possession. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like... All right. I know exactly what game Sean had to watch this afternoon.
0: <laughs> the Giants are, I might have brought this up before. They're so boring to watch. It's just a Like you just watch. I don't know if any, any listener has felt this way about any team. It's one thing to watch your defense get blown out, but the offense keeps you in games. Like I've been there with the Giants too, like back in 2014 or something. Um. But it's another thing to just watch your offense trot out there and just know like they're not going to score, like they like you. It's a formality. There's no point in them doing it, and they might as well punt it. It's just it's so painful, dude. I just want I just want the Giants' offense to like have some playmaking or signs of life or something. And I think again, the story of the game for me, if we want to get into the X's and O's very briefly, is Daniel Jones trot back. 41 times the Giants ran the ball 12 times and Jones ran it he was credited with one rush for three yards like he is not the mobile Lamar Jackson-esque Daniel Jones of earlier this year Uh, and I think that's really the only way he's a he's even remotely a, a creditable NFL quarterback at this point is if he can hurt you with his legs he just can't the Giants offense feels totally neutered Um, And the defense, I don't think they, like, they kind of got run over by the Redskins' rushing attack. I think it also, I know I'm, like, eight tangents deep in this, but the Giants played some teams here late in the schedule that were, like, hot at the worst possible time for the Giants. Like, the Browns, for a couple weeks, were just red hot, came in, crushed the Giants easy, and then the Ravens have, like, really clearly figured it out, right? Like, they have, the, they have the rushing attack down. And so, of course, they just steamrolled the Giants. I just don't – the team still lacks talent. Everybody who three weeks ago was saying Dave Gettleman, you know, is a genius or he figured it out and everyone is a hater, uh, nowhere to be found now. Why does everyone have to be happy all the time? Why does everyone have to be happy all the time? I don't know, man, but I'm happy. Almost none of the time. so.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, to me, the bright spot of this team remains to be the defense. If I were you, like, with how bad this offense has been, the fact that the defense held the Ravens to 27 points and held the Browns to 20 points, I think should be a part of their narrative. But for them to get this this much-needed W against Dallas uh, this week. They'll need a lot more from their offense, and I don't know if they're going to get it. So let's – uh, I don't really have anything to, else to add here, yeah. so let's just jump into the preview then. Uh, Giants-Cowboys, 1 p.m. Got to be the Kenny Albert special. He called the <laughs> Cowboys-Eagles game last week. Really, I felt great that, you know, Kenny Albert was the – was the uh, – was the uh, the pastor – of the Eagles funeral this past week. It was really comforting (laughs) watching that game watching my team die um, with Albert and Vilma in the booth. But let's just paint this picture. We got Albert, we got Vilma, we got Cowboys, Giants, 1 p.m. Sunday on Fox. Winner needs a Washington loss in the evening to make the playoffs. What do you think happened, Sean?
0: (sighs) I think it comes down to the Giants have a puncher's chance, but really only if Daniel Jones can be legitimately healthy or they should just go to Colt McCoy and really give them a shot here. Because um, I do think the defense has a chance to keep them in it, to stop the run, um, to maybe generate some turnovers and some pressure on Dalton. Dalton's definitely settled in and gotten comfortable, but that doesn't mean, you know, the Giants won't have opportunities. So it's a question of can the Giants run the ball? Um now what does the game plan look like? I think I think Joe Judge has kind of hit a bit of a slump here with what they can do, they don't feel very creative. Obviously, I think given their personnel, they don't feel like they can get creative. But for the Cowboys, I think the 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 mission is much simpler, you know, just try to I'm sure Bradbury's going to be covering, you know, Amari Cooper or somebody. But just try to get CD land the ball against some of the Giants' lesser secondary and see if you can make big plays happen in space. Defensively, just hold down the fort. Don't draw stupid penalties. Put pressure on Jones and f- see if you can force fumbles. Give yourself field position. Like I, I, it feels like there's so many more ways for Dows to win this game than the Giants. That's never a good feeling if you're in this case a Giants fan. So. Long story short, I think it's going to be a 24-17 Cowboys victory.
1: It's a great score. I was feeling about the same. I was going to give Cowboys 27 to the Giants 17. So I'll stick with that to remain somewhat different than you. But I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, It's a... It's a it's a backs-against-the-wall game for both these teams, so I think that alone will probably get more creativity and spark out of the Giants' offense, even with less personnel. And I think, to your point, uh, the Giants' offense does stack up favorably to this Cowboys' defense um, compared to that Ravens' defense they faced last week, even a little bit hobbled. Um, the Cowboys' defense can't really stop the run all that much. Uh, which is the one thing that if the Giants' offense is clicking, they can do fairly well. Um, and their secondary, I think, if if the run is established, you can find holes in it. Um, the pass rush will be interesting, I think, from the Cowboys' perspective. Can they get home that and disrupt whatever rhythm the Giants could potentially start generating? Uh, but on the other side, I think you're right. I, I like a lot of the creativity they have and how they're trying to use Lamb on the Cowboys' offense right now. Uh, The one-two punch of Zeke and Pollard is really working. Um, I think Cowboys can score easily. So yeah, 27-17. That's what I'm thinking. Okay. All right, let's let's go into the marquee. We got Washington taking on the Philadelphia Eagles like we kind of hinted at the earlier part of the pod. Um, Since we already discussed Cowboys-Eagles at length, let's just briefly talk about the dumpster fire that was the Panthers Washington game to kind of set the stage for this Washington yeah. Eagles game. Uh, what was really frustrating to me was the Washington could have won this game. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. it wasn't a, the, this Panthers team did not put on like an unbeatable display on their own. Panthers win 20 to 13. But on the offensive side of the ball, uh, For Carolina, Bridgewater was held to below 200 yards passing. They had their their highest total rusher was was actually the wide receiver Curtis Samuel on a few on a few gadget plays, including a 45 yard run. Uh, Davis was held 14 carries, 28 yards. To me, this this Washington defense is still alive and kicking. They are who we thought they were, you know, five six weeks ago. Yep. It's this Washington offense and not fulfilling their twenty point a week duty under Dwayne Haskins. Yeah. That's really that's really the problem here. Um, yeah. Including one of the uh, Panther scores was on a uh,
0: it was it was a uh, it was a fumble I think. So basically was Washington, yeah, it was the first I think it was the first score of the game for Carolina. Washington defense had stonewalled Carolina for like the second or third time. Like Washington defense looked good, kind of classic. Uh, you know, what we've come to expect from that unit. They kick it off and then it's a fumble on the, on the recovery, uh, on the, on the return rather, and uh, it goes straight into the end zone, easy touchdown for Carolina. And then the game script totally changes, right? Cause then you have to ask the Dwayne Haskins and Washington's offense to generate something that they're just not capable of and come from behind rather than play the way they want to play, which is that slow tempo, you know, ball control style so uh just a tough tough game for I think both you and I have come to be very sympathetic to Washington having watched them over the course of this year I think they're a pretty likable team um all things considered unlike probably maybe every other team in the division I don't know we can we can talk about that off season, but uh, despite ownership, I caveat, not Dan Snyder, but the actual players and the coaches on this team seem like they're trying hard and, and, you know, committed to it. Uh, but yeah, I think it's the same team. I think it's the same team and just missing, missing that, that ingredient of a quarterback. That's it. Yeah. Uh,
1: uh, I didn't hit on this at the top of the show, but to me, I think Washington are the only suitable champions of this division, Uh, I think they're the only team that has a top 10 unit on either side of the ball, save for maybe an argument you can make about this hot Cowboys offense right now. Um, And I think their fan base needs it. Um, They're the one team I think that would benefit from a playoff appearance in terms of their trajectory towards becoming a good team again, which is what we want from all four of these teams as a result of this pod. So to me, narrative-wise and everything, I think they should be the division winner. Um, and right now, they're on the precipice of not being that, falling squarely on Dwayne Haskins and his 4.1 quarterback rating against the Carolina Panthers in a win-and-you're-in game. <laughs> yeah, it, it was laughable. Uh, Heineke came in and put up nearly as many passing yards in a quarter as Dwayne Haskins had in the three preceding. It's yes. insane.
0: <laughs> It'll be interesting to see what they do in this upcoming matchup, I guess. I don't know if you're ready to transition. Yeah, but...
1: let's transition into this and just just talk about this Eagles-Washington game. I, I think this is, even if they have to run Heineke out, I, I think this is going to be a much closer game than what maybe the Lions or what conventional wisdom would say.
0: Yeah, I I, I think so as well. I don't know what the Eagles injury report looks like, But part of me has to say, the Eagles aren't playing for anything. Um, That's always a little funky. They they don't have much incentive to play guys who are dinged up. We'll see if they if Peterson does or doesn't do that. Um, Obviously, Jalen Hurts has something to prove, and I kind of expect him to, you know, show what he's capable of. But at the same time, the Washington team is, or the Washington defense is pretty stalwart, as we know. The only thing I will say is I think being in Philly is a little tough, but it feels to me like Washington just has the backs against the wall. Haskins is gone from like a distraction standpoint and from like, even like a game planning perspective. Like I think mm-hmm. they know whether they, whether Alex Smith comes back or they run with Heineke, I think they just have a stronger idea of like, okay, we can, we don't need to force as much, you know, we can kind of let the game come to us and, do what they did when they were successful, um, and rely on that defense to to force stops and turnovers. So, I expect this one to be a thriller, um, and I expect Washington to take it uh, twenty to. I'm gonna say a weird score here, twenty to nineteen. I think Philly's gonna
1: kick a lot of field goals. <laughs> they <laughs> may kick a lot of field goals, but I think it's I think it's bullish to say that. I'll make four. Uh, I'll make <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's good. Based on how based on how Jake Elliott has played this year. But yeah, I mean I'm 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 kind of with you. I actually kind of liked what I saw from Heineke in that in that fourth quarter. Not necessarily that he was uh really good, <laughs> No. but he wasn't a he wasn't a drag on the offense like that Haskins had been up to that point. And he was confident enough to try to step into some throws and and lay some stuff out there. And I I, I like the way he kind of moved around the pocket a bit, and uh, you know, created some space for himself. So I think I think they're a right to cut Haskins. I think they're right to run Heineke out there. We'll see if he can get a W in a week seventeen, effectively a playoff game for this team. Uh, but I think with that kind of position, not there's not an X factor, but maybe you can say it's solidified hopefully from a mistake making perspective to me, it just comes down to momentum. And I think you're dead on in saying this eliminated Eagles team, it's really hard. I think psychologically to even play for pride um, this close to being eliminated from the playoffs in one week, especially when you're already down to your backup quarterback in a, in a season that has been a disaster up until this point Um, for me, I think this game becomes interesting if the Eagles can hit a big play on offense early in the game, if they can make some sort of statement that says we're here to play a game and get them up for this game. I think it becomes, uh, it becomes a bit more of a contest, but if Washington can assert themselves on defense against this Philly offense early and manage the game and just churn out rushing first downs and you know, t- have put the passing game in Heineke's hands and just take what he gives them. This should be a pretty easy win for them. Um, all things considered, that becomes even easier if it's Alex Smith back there and not Taylor Heineke. So I'm going to say Washington wins this, something like twenty to thirteen. Um, yeah, like but it, it is, but there is like a there is like a wild card element to the Eagles' performance here. And if, if they do catch fire and Hurts get some confidence, I could easily see it being like a blowout Eagles victory that's just like a statement weird win to, to punctuate this season.
0: Yeah. I, I think there's, just from like a, a story perspective, there would be something to Alex Smith making a comeback back against the line, against a division rival, and getting his way back into the playoffs. I mean, of course, to be ceremoniously stomped by Green Bay or whoever, but still... Um, but I, I do think, you know, the, <laughs> there is a chance that like, let's say things go sideways and at halftime Phillies up like 20 to six, you have to think the Washington defense is like, we can't, we're never going to make up this deficit. Like you're right. I yep. do think it, it has more blowout potential than Dallas, uh, New York does.
1: Yeah. I, I think for me, I think I'm going to bet. Pretty staunchly, that uh, Washington's going to put up 20 points <laughs> in this game, no matter what. <laughs> um, I think it's just a matter of how they force the Eagles to not score points and the momentum that the offense can generate in this game. They'll be the story of how this game goes. I don't th- I think it's either going to be a 20 to 7 or 13, Washington, like dominant Washington win, where the Eagles' offense isn't allowed to get off the ground and just sort of you know, uh, rise in pain at a, at a, and languishes sure. um you know in a bad season yeah. or Philly wakes up has a good hot plays early and it becomes like a boat race that this Washington offense just can't hang with yeah um yeah that's but I, I'm picking Washington still I, I think that they've got more to play for and I think it's more likely this Washington defense prevents that doomsday scenario from happening than it is that it happens against their will yep. Alright. Uh let's take around the league. Uh, who wants to go first? Do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Uh,
0: we 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 asked for many things to be abolished, I feel like. Uh, including what was it last week?
1: Oh, no, it was we abolished have, the Pro Bowl.
0: It was abolished actually yeah. I stand by that. T- that's <laughs> <by> that t- <laughs> Abolish the Pro Bowl this week. Abolish dome to stadiums. We're playing, <laughs> we're playing football. You're watching human beings collide at high speeds for your enjoyment. and You know you're not building the stadiums for the football players. You're building it for the coddled fans who somehow can't manage to stand in the cold and watch these people kill themselves for you. Just get out there. It's 20 degrees. Have fun. Bring some hot chocolate, hand warmers, whatever. Bundle up. It's ridiculous to ask that we sit inside watching football, maybe one of the most classically outdoor sports to come out of America, right? I think just get rid of them, especially the dome stadiums up north, like in Minnesota. You can't have that. Play in the snow, play in the rain. That's part of the fun. Everybody remembers that Lions Eagles game, like, you know, probably almost a decade ago now. When was that? Um, that iconic last snow last game
1: was uh, it was still chip kelly so it might have been like seven or eight years ago at this point right.
0: that's a long that the fact that that's like the last great snow game is a is a tragedy and a travesty it's both yeah a travestity. Um <laughs> <laughs> so long story short not that complicated but why why do we have to coddle ourselves like this just just watch football the way it was meant to be watched
1: I'm with you. I'm definitely with you on this one. Uh my take this week and this is this is entirely because I'm home and I have to listen to my dad's takes on football uh while I'm home. We need to stop pretending like running the football wins football games. I'm tired of <laughs> I'm tired of hearing if only Doug Peterson ran the ball 5 times more we would have won this game. I it's ridiculous. <laughs> it is the worst argument in football. I pulled the numbers and this is a very Eagles centric uh take. It's a bit of a meme even in equal circles that is like people beg the coach to run the ball more in a loss no matter what. Um but the Eagles Super Bowl winning year. Um there was never a game where they had a 20 <laughs> attempt rusher ever. Yeah. And they won 13 games they won the Super Bowl. It's astonishing how often this take comes up um and becomes like a like a like a moratorium on play calling when play calling is situational, it depends on how the game is unfolding. I think that if you're running the ball more, it's a byproduct of success you had earlier in the game than a precursor to success you're trying to set up.
0: Yeah, that, that's, that's why, exactly
1: And that's why it seems like if you run the ball more, you tend to win. When in reality, yeah. they're trying to run the ball just as much as they're trying to run the ball in any other game. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And you're watching a game unfold the way people paid a lot of money to analyze game theory (laughs) are trying to script it to unfold.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like a, a chicken or the egg question. And in this case, I think it's clearly successful teams are able to run the ball a lot because they're put in positions where running the ball is an easy and conservative way for them to win games that are already put away. So when you look at the box score afterwards, to your point, you can say, Oh, well they ran the ball. 28 times no wonder like they they had a great running game they won um but obviously that's a reductive way of looking at it i love this take because i do think it it's so anti-classical like old school football fan thought which would kill there are many football fans out there who would kill for the super bowl winning team to be like the derrick henry tennessee titans type feed feed the guy 33 times for you know, just relentlessly. Um I like it a lot. I think I agree, like big picture. I personally love running the football. Um, but it's easy to love running the football when you have an icon
1: like Wayne Gallman back there. So oh, I guess this, why... I would not have this take if I was if Wayne Gallman was on my team. Beat be <laughs> <Wayne.
0: laughs> The Wayne train. Um
1: <laughs> no I think I think you're right. And I, I'm not saying this as someone who doesn't enjoy a mauler like Derrick Henry getting fed 30 times in the game and seeing a win out of that. But that happens once in a season because very few teams that, that is a matchup advantage for the Titans against very few teams. Most teams have linebackers that can stand Derrick Henry up, you know, and like game plan for that. And they try to get Derrick Henry involved just like they do anyway. And if it's a hot hand, they'll keep riding it.
0: The one thing I will say that I do hate, this is my old school boomer take, is I hate when a team has run the ball like three straight times and rattled off like six or more yards every time, right? And then they stop running the ball. That that gets me that activates some oh, yeah. like old school because then it's like make them prove that they can stop you, you know? But until then, yes, it it makes sense. If you're just running for like two or three yards per carry, you can't just demand to keep running the ball, you need first downs.
1: Yeah, and honestly, another thing you need is a functional passing game, and you have to start establishing that too. I, I'm I'm against teams starting out a game pass heavy. I think you have to establish the run, and you have to have that defense respect the run. So that you the analogy I drew like a few weeks ago like you have your, your base plays, your chunk plays, your your money plays that are the base of your tree that then you build off of, right? Running plays need to be part of that cuz any team needs to have that look to play off of, right? But the goal then is to have that look parlay into 20 to 30 yard chunks in the air then potential six or less yards per carry that don't result in first downs, right? Yep. And I understand yep. criticizing the mix there, but let's not pretend that like volume is an indicator of winning winning a game or losing a game.
0: Yep, I'm feeling
1: pal. All right, man. Well, I'm not looking forward to these games this week. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna
0: pray as hard as I can. I'm gonna Google patron saints of like football and Kenny Albert and all sorts of other things. Get get my pantheon in order so that we can get good juju. Because if we have to come here next week and talk about the Cowboys winning this thing. I might just not show up. You might have the
1: <laughs> If there is no pod hitting your feeds next week, <laughs> you know you know why. <laughs> We've ended the podcast because Dallas, Dallas has a first round playoff game. <laughs> oh,
0: God. I just feel it in my bones, dude. It's
1: no for more than uh, just me being right. For the for the sake Dallas needs to lose for their own sake. You know, if they delude themselves into thinking they're a playoff team. They're just going to get worse next year, you know. And it's 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 dark times, and we're on the precipice of some real dark times. I'm really hoping for Ron Rivera and and uh, the dutiful Washington offense to show up and become the rightful seven win divisional champs of this division, I hear and you. promptly lose, and we can talk about the off season.
0: I just don't know if your cold mechanical logic stands in the face of watermelon smashing. That's what I'm worried about. It's a chaotic <laughs> variable.
1: Really, really, what what this week comes down to is uh, Taylor Heineke versus watermelons. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, whoever, if Heineken wins... If, if Heineken <laughs> if Heineke, <laughs> if Heineke, <laughs> if Heineke wins... He will be elevated to the pantheon alongside Kenny Albert and Tony Pollard. I think that's all we have up there reasonably at the moment uh and if watermelons win, they get demoted to uh enemy of the pie status <laughs> that's that's the hedge. If the watermelons win out, we need to get the largest a board chair member of like the largest watermelon corporation in America. On the pod and demand justice somehow.
1: <laughs> why did you why were you supplying the cowboys with right. this product? <laughs> Couldn't you have stopped it? <laughs> <laughs> let's let's see how this plays out. I'm sure it's gonna be a fun pod next week, no matter what. Uh please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe if you aren't already. If you have uh if you have a connection to anyone in the watermelon industry, please send us an email at Mailbag at gmail.com. Uh, Williams, until next week, buddy. Uh, talk to you later, pal. Bye.